Welcome to episode 59 of Radio 815, the podcast dedicated to examining the work of writer-director J.J. Abrams, as well as his greater Bad Robot Universe. I'm your host for this week. My name is Marcelo Inestrosa, joined as always by my fellow co-host, Matt Crandall. And on today's edition of the show, we'll be taking a look at Lost, Season 4, Episodes 13 through 14, There's No Place Like Home. I have uh, one question for you, Matt. Is this the magic box? We certainly discover a magic box. There's No Place Like Home Part 2 and 3 that did air two weeks after the first part. I love that when this starts, the very first thing we see after the catch-up is literally the moment after Jack is screaming to Kate, we have to go back, we have to go back from the flash-forward that ended season three. This episode starts with that flash-forward, picks up right in those moments, and Kate backs up the car to get out and yell at Jack. And I just thought, you know, it's a year later and we literally go back to this flash forward that we thought we saw all that we needed to see of it, where Kate tells Jack, I'm never going back. I have to get back to him. But that's not the end of the conversation. And in this, Jack does pull out the obituary and hands it to her that we still don't know who it's for. They mention that it's for a person named Jeremy Bentham. Kate, can't believe Jack would trust Jeremy Bentham. They set this mystery at the beginning of this episode that ties into the other mystery is for a year we have wondered who is in the coffin. And then they set the table at the start of this two hour block saying the person in the coffin is Jeremy Bentham. I say, who the fuck is that? And then everybody else throughout the episode keeps talking about Jeremy Bentham in the flash forwards as if that is someone that we should know. They added mystery to the mystery right at the top of this episode. And that flash forward then jumps to the island where Jack and Locke are meeting up and have one of the best discussions that these guys have had in a year for our time, not island time. Locke says to Jack, look, Jack, things are going to happen. And you should probably roll with it or you can do what you're going to do, but you can't stop me doing what I'm going to do. And what I'm going to do is, and Jack cuts him off and won't let him say, but in this moment, Locke has some of the best lines between him and Jack. Jack says to Locke, I can't believe you still think that you know what's going on. So many people have followed you. They've died. And Locke looks at him and goes, well, Jack. You put a gun to my head and pulled the trigger. I was hoping we could let bygones be bygones here. In the talk, he then says, it's not an island. It's a place where miracles happen. Just wait until you see what I'm about to do. Jack is still not believing this. And as Locke is basically saying his final goodbye to Jack, he gets one super dig in before he goes. And he says, if you do get rescued, lie to them, Jack. If you do it to them half as well as you do it to yourself, they'll believe you. And I'm like, boom, roasted John Locke fucking going for the throat on Jack. And this finale starts in such a crazy fashion with that amazing flash forward. And then that John Locke Jack scene for the books. Man, I was so excited when this episode started in such an amazing way. What were you thinking, Marcelo, when those two 
basically said what seems for now to be their final goodbye. I really, really loved that quote-unquote final confrontation between Locke and Jack, or so we think. And the reason why I love it is because, like you said, Matt, for some reason, Locke still believes in the magic, in the magical properties of the island. And no matter what Locke says to Jack, Jack is still that hard-pressed cynic, right? I love the part where Locke goes, the island needs protection. And Jack goes, what? It's an island. It doesn't need protection. And then Locke goes, it's a magical place where magical things happen. And I love the part where Locke says to Jack, you feel it in your bones. You know that you belong here. And if you leave here, you're going to have to lie to them. And that, the act of lying to them is going to eat you apart. And it's going to take you apart piece by piece. If the writers chose not to show us the flash forwards at the beginning of this season, what Locke says to Jack has so much more weight because we already see what has happened to Jack uh, within the flash forwards. Yeah, we already know that he's making what will ultimately be viewed as a mistake in those moments and that he will come around to the opinion that Locke holds. It's weird seeing Jack not know that later he will wish he had listened to John Locke. I also love the part where John and Ben go down to the Orchid and John has all these questions. Ben basically goes, you know what, John? Watch this instructional video, which will answer all your questions. Watch this video while I do work. And I really felt that that was Carlton and Damon addressing the audience and, and saying, oh, you have all these questions? Well, we're going to sort of slap you in the face, politely show you the finger for all the questions that you have about the island so far. And this is our response to you. So what did you think of that little exchange that Ben said to Locke? I think it was kind of the writers just saying like, guess what? The hows and whys don't really matter, especially because the video doesn't play out. It starts, but then something goes wrong with the video and we don't actually see it. But also I feel like this was the only season of Lost where somebody hasn't watched a mysterious film or video. So it's almost like they realized like, oh shit, we didn't put our trademark in. So we got to have somebody watch a video where, you know, Marvin Candle, Hanzo, whoever introduces himself with another name, just because the fans are expecting it at this point. So I did like that. That was kind of an acknowledgement of the lost tropes. And John Locke always has questions and then he obsesses about these films or videos thinking they're providing answers when of course they don't provide any answers so i just love that and i love when ben is throwing all of the metallic shit into it into the magic box and uh as he's doing it and john Locke is like is is this are we supposed to be doing this and he's like just help me put more metal shit in here and shut up and i just love that dynamic you know what sometimes you don't need to over explain it just trust me it is what i say it is yeah but you know to some extent i mean i don't want to discount uh what you're saying here but what did you think about the semi-explanation that Mr. Hanzo said in the video as to what the vault was. I don't think we can trust him because every time we see him, he's got a different name and he tells us different information. I didn't take anything he said at face value. Okay, because the second he said it, I was like, oh my God, the vault is a ripple through time. I exploded. I, I completely fell for it. I 
I was like, oh my God, this confirms everything. This explains everything. I think I am the sort of fan that the writers count on. As we've been making our way through the four seasons of Lost, I've been more conditioned to fall for what the writers are telling me, whether it's crap or not. I think I'm getting lost in the weeds a little bit. So that's why I gave a little bit more credence to what Mr. Hanzo was explaining what the, the operation of the vault was. Right. And I just think he says, Locke says, like, is this a time machine? Maybe, but everything I know about that guy, and like I said, every video, he's got a different name. I automatically now, at this point, four seasons in, I take everything he's doing as as just being science fiction. In the world of Lost, he's meant to be a peddler of lies and disinformation. So I do think that they obviously picked that theory on purpose because they want us to start thinking about, what is it called? Some sort of Casimir effect or something. So they definitely picked that theory on purpose, probably not as an accident, but just with our history with whatever he's calling himself these days, Hallowax, Edgar Hallowax, that doctor, I just don't trust anything he says. All right, so on that note, uh, what do you think about all the crazy shit happening on the freighter? Because there's something really, really, really dire happening on the freighter. Yeah, the freighter action is hectic. After the Jack Locke business on the island, Jack and the team do make their way to the helicopter. And after some fights and Saeed almost dies, they get on the helicopter and they are flying back to the freighter. The helicopter takes a bullet. It's leaking gasoline. It, the fuel is going everywhere. And they realize they're too heavy to make it back to the freighter. So in a heroic moment, Sawyer kisses Kate and jumps out, which was a really nice moment. And kind of, you know, that flash forward a few weeks ago where Jack and Kate had a fight and he was mad that she had done a favor for Sawyer. And he said, remember, I'm the one who rescued you. I saved you. And it's like, well, actually, in that heroic moment, Sawyer kind of saves them all, jumping out so that they will make it back to the freighter. Now, when they land on the freighter, we find out Michael, Jin have not been successful in being able to stop the bomb that is attached to Kimi's dead man switch. There is all this action where they're trying to defuse this massive bomb and it's so many wires that they realize they're not going to be able to do it, but they are going to be able to slow it down when it does get triggered. So if someone stays behind, they may be able to give everyone a little bit more time to evacuate. That was really nice and kind of sad where we don't want any of our main losties to buy the farm, but as Ben and Locke have their showdown with Kimi in the Orchid and Kimi is killed, I love the moment if you're watching the streaming version where they split the episodes as Benjamin has taken Kimi out, basically, they say, oh my gosh, you just killed all of those people on the freighter by killing him. And Ben Linus just goes, so? And then lost. So I love that that's Ben not giving a shit. But everything that's happening as this dead man switch gets triggered because Kimi gets taken out. Who I w That's a character I was not sad to see go. I hated him. We were supposed to hate him, but I'm glad that Ben finished him off. And it's sad because, yeah, as the helicopter is landing, everyone's screaming, don't land, don't land. There's a bomb. We're hoping all of our favorite losties can make it off. And Michael says he will stay behind Jin, go to get rescued but the helicopter they gas it up in like a minute and unfortunately they have to take off right away because of this ticking time bomb 
and Jin doesn't make it. In those moments, you're like, oh no, Jin. And the awesome moment where as the nitrogen runs out and Michael realizes he's going to die, he starts to hear the whispers and then they stop and Christian Shepard is right in front of him and says, you can go now. And then kaboom. So that moment was crazy that ghost Christian or whoever this is showed up and said to Michael, like the island wouldn't let you kill yourself before. Now you can die. I really, really loved that final moment that Michael had with Ghost Christian or whoever Christian is, like you just said. And the thing that I loved about it is that after Michael realizes that he's running out of nitrogen and he starts hearing the voices, like you said, and when Christian shows up, you know, Michael just goes, wait, who are you? And then Christian says, you can go now. But the problem that I have with this specific scene, when Jin finally makes it to the deck and he sees the helicopter has taken off without him why the fuck didn't he jump off the damn boat he knew that he was running out of time so why in the hell didn't he jump off the fucking boat because that really irritated me without getting too deep into it i think that we only saw what we were meant to see in those moments so caught up in the action of it that we are frustrated but i don't think we are realizing that this might be a bait and switch with the way tv shows work yeah also is a really really quick scene between miles and scarlet on our main part of the island and miles says why would you want to leave an island that you have taken years to get back to so i'm like wait a minute how would he know that why would he say that and i was like if you guys can remember, when Miles first showed up on the island, he knew stuff about our losties that didn't make any sense. And we thought that the reason that he knew all these things is because he was a Ghostbuster. He could read people's minds, basically, which he can't. But this line makes me question if the reason why Miles knows so much about our losties when he first gets on the island is because of something else. And it isn't because he is psychic. What do you think about that, Matt? That's an interesting point. I took it as a ghost on the island told them that they recognized Charlotte as being somebody who was already on the island at some point. So I thought it was a ghost of a dead Dharma or somebody who probably told him this information while he was doing his ghost missions looking for Naomi's ghost and that kind of thing. Right. The other thing that Scarlett says of note is when she talks to Daniel and she tells Daniel listen, I'm not going to get on the boat. I need to stay here. And basically Daniel says, if you stay here, it could be years before we find you again. Or you could never get off. I don't know what's going to happen if you don't come with me right now. And Scarlett says, for the longest time, I've been looking for the place where I was born. So I'm like, wait a minute. What the, what the hell? What is that about? The island is where she was born? Right. So Charlotte thinks that she was born here and somehow taken away from the island and has now made her way back. But why and who told her how did she leave the island is still all anybody's guess at this point. Son has a conversation with Charles Whitmore and she basically intimates to Charles Whitmore that she wants to have the truth come out about how our group of losties really got off the island and that got me wondering if the real financer behind Charles Whitmore's entire operation was son from the very beginning do you do you think I've lost my mind Matt or do you think that I am on to something here I think you've lost your mind I feel like in those moments son is kind of at her wits end most of these flash forwards are taking place almost three years after they left the island 
We find that out in the Jack and Kate talk. But Sun has taken over her dad's company. And when she goes to Widmore and he pretends like he doesn't know her, she says, you know who I am and you know what I would want. She is interested in finding the island again. You know, if you ask Benjamin Lioness, the last thing you want is for Charles Widmore to find the island. But she's thinking, if this fucking guy's already looking for it, then I might as well get him to loop me in because she is still looking for closure with everything that happened and still does have friends on the island. So when she gives him the card and basically says, we have a common interest, so give me a call. We're not the only ones who left the island. Reminding Widmore, there are more elements at play And there are more people working against him than he may know. So that's why she says we should team up. And he's a little bit suspect. And we're a little bit suspect because we don't know if she actually wants to team up with him for legitimate reasons or if this is a Ben play and he has gotten to Sun. But mostly I just feel like it's Sun taking advantage of her position to try and get some of that closure with where the island went and if the people that she knows who are still on the island are safe or what happened. And on that note, we move on to part three. What did you think of the final part of Lost Season 4? Do you feel like turning a specific wheel? That wheel is one of the big mysteries of this episode that is so weird, but yet harkens back to, you know, like a pirate ship with these giant wheels. And when Ben says to Locke, I'm going to now move the island. You can leave. You go find my my people who are now your people. And then he heads into this icy cavern and we see just a gigantic wheel. He chips off the ice. He starts to push it. Basically, as he's pushing it, using all of the force that he has, he is crying, knowing that he can never return to the island when this exchange of power happens. As the bright light overtakes him and then we see the island literally just disappear in the blink of an eye that same blink of an eye that has our losties in a helicopter heading towards the island and it is just gone baby gone no turning back such a cool moment because that dark icy room with the hieroglyphs And as Ben is turning the wheel saying, I hope you're happy now, Jacob. We're wondering how the mechanics of the island moving are going to work. We're wondering, is this going to have a ripple effect that part of the perimeter goes with it? So I thought that was fascinating. What did you think when Ben is pushing this fucked up wheel to move the island? I absolutely loved it because as you know, Matt, I've been waiting for this specific thing to happen and i have a specific theory on the effects of ben moving the island i'm not going to go into that right now one question that i have is that when ben is moving the island dan and a bunch of our losties who are going to the freighter and are in are in the middle of the ocean Locke and his new flock are in the woods juliet and sawyer are on the beach one thing that was driving me crazy is that all those people who are who are on solid ground were standing up while the light in the sky was was happening as the island was moving all i could think is why aren't you people sitting down and the other thing that i that i really liked about this is that by Ben being the one that moves the island and vis-a-vis he can't come back to the island anymore, I really think that he becomes a better person when he turns the wheel. 
and he can't come back to the island ever again. Am I losing my mind? There might be an argument made for the amount of sacrifice it takes for Ben to step up to the plate and do that. We do see that he gets Saeed to kill a lot of people for him in the in the future. So I'm not willing to give the guy a sainthood yet, but certainly that's something to mull over. Uh, speaking of the future, the flash forwards in this episode are my favorite parts of the episode as we go. The mental institution, Hurley gets visited by Walt, and it was nice to see Walt again. Hurley lets him have kind of some closure on his dad a little bit, and they talk about Jeremy Bentham. And then later, Saeed visits him and says, come with me, we've got to get out of here. Hurley says, okay, yeah, it's fine, I'll do whatever you say. Gets his stuff to go. And we see that he was playing chess and he goes, checkmate, Mr. Echo. And there's an empty chair sitting there. So I love that we got another ghost character that Hurley has seen other than just Charlie. I do feel like, and I'm this is one of the ones that I'm willing to forgive, the Jeremy Bentham hat on a hat using an alias for a character that everyone knows as someone else is a, a device that the writers used because they needed to address who was in the coffin in the lead up to showing us who was in the coffin, but they wanted to save that holy fuck moment for the last 10 seconds of this episode. And it works wonders in this episode, especially the first time, because in the very last moments, which we will get to in a couple minutes, I did lose my goddamn mind. I was screaming at the TV, but in a rewatch, it just those scenes where they mention that guy, I'm like, they, like they would never after all they've been through they would never be calling him by this new name especially when jack and kate are out by the airport in the middle of the night they're not worried about someone listening or hanging over their shoulder like saeed suggests so i found that a little bit of a push but hurley's not the only one seeing ghosts in this episode because there is a flash forward with kate where she goes into aaron's room and sees claire holding aaron's hand and she warns Kate not to bring him back to the island. Then Kate wakes up and we find out it's a dream. But still, it was one of those, what? Because we still don't know what's going on with Claire ever since she was hanging out with Ghost Christian. What did you think, Marcelo, when Claire showed up in what ended up being a dream, but in those moments where Ghost Claire shows up? I really liked that because I had forgotten what was the tipping point to get Kate, to convince Kate that she needs to go back to the island with Jack and... Jeremy Bentham and all the other and, and all the other losties and Kate's in bed and the phone rings and and she hears like static and then she hears like somebody you know entering her house I love the moment when she goes to her closet and she ruffles in the closet and she removes the shoebox and, and in the shoebox she has a weapon I love the fact that whoever was the uh, weapons expert told Avengers and Lily to actually slide the magazine back because a lot of a, a lot of times on TV they forget to tell actors to do that properly. I really, really liked that uh, small little touch. But when she goes to check on Aaron and she sees Claire there, I lost my mind. And I was like, okay, this is the thing. This is the tipping point that is going to cause Kate to finally relent and join the others and go back to the island for God knows what reason. I'm kind of interested to find out what happened to Claire and why she ended up going with Christian. But I kind of don't want to know. Does that make any sense? Well, it makes sense. And I'm glad that you don't really care if you find out or not, because you may never find out or not. So 
you're in a good headspace leading into the final two seasons of Lost where there's lots of stuff they might not ever explain. That being said, the emotional hearts and big moments of this episode all come within the last 20 minutes where everything we've had in the finale is leading up to these final 20 minutes. So Jin dies, supposedly, boo-hoo. I was upset at the time, but on a rewatch, I honestly, Sun's screaming out annoys me more than it moves me which might sound mean, but it's the truth. Then the helicopter escapes the explosion. The island disappears. Helicopter runs out of gas. They crash into the ocean. They are all in a raft. Suddenly, a boat shows up. A boat in the far distance. They signal the boat. They are getting rescued. This is the moment where they get rescued. We are happy. We are way more happy, though, when we realize this is the boat that we were hoping would show up at the end of season three. Because this, ladies and gentlemen, we've been waiting for it, is Penny's boat. The moment where Desmond and Penny reunite is so satisfying. It made me smile. It made me cry. I loved it. That is just such a great, happy moment. We know that the people are going to have to lie. But luckily, because it's Penny's boat, they have longer to come up with the cover story and figure out what the lie is going to be and how the lie is going to work. But that Desmond and Penny reunion, it fills in the gap of we now basically know who the Oceanic Six exactly were. But Desmond and Penny are reunited. It's just that because Penny's boat found Desmond, we don't have to mention him to the press. The The music swelling and them kissing, such a great moment. What did you think when Penny's boat showed up? I lost my mind. And in that moment when Penny's boat finally shows up, I'm going to say it again for a final time. I lost my mind. I loved their reunion so, so much. But the thing that I had constantly running through my mind during the reunion of Desmond and Penny, this is a nice reunion, but there's bigger things to deal with here. I knew that Jack and all of our losties on the raft were going to have to come up with a fabrication. And for some reason, the lie that they were going to have to tell really took a bit away seeing them get into the raft and be dropped off so that they can then float to shore and get sunburnt i start to wonder did they even need to do that where they got rescued like it's not like they washed up on a shore where there was press already waiting the main thing that i was wanting in those moments is what comes directly after which is where we flash forward to jack after the Desmond moment is so nice and then they do the shore thing so that we see it's just kind of going through the motions because we already know in the oceanic press conference like what happened and how they were the cover story started but so as Jack still drunk driving around listening to alt rock good old Jack last time it was Nirvana now it's the Pixies pulls up at the funeral parlor goes in looks at the sheet Jeremy Bentham as he's just at a loss for what to do feeling frustrated suddenly there's a voice behind jack and it is mfing benjamin linus i so loved this moment where ben and jack get this reunion that jack does not want even in jack's searching for having to go back to the island the last person he would want to see is is ben the other last person he would want to see is also in the room and i just love that as the two are talking ben lets us know you guys weren't meant to leave. I know that Bentham has told you you weren't meant to leave, but I think the thing that he might have neglected to say is that not only do you have to go back, we're getting the whole band back together. Everyone, every one of you has to go back. 
Jack says, I don't know where Saeed is and Hurley's crazy and Sun blames me for Jin's death. Kate won't speak to me. Ben says, this is the only way. You all have to do it together. I can't go, but I have some ideas on how this can happen. And I am willing to help. And Jack, that's the reason why you were riding around on planes and it's not doing Jack shit because it's not all of you on a plane. The island is not going to crash a plane just for you. It needs the whole set. It doesn't want just one of you. And so I loved that in that moment, it dawns on us. Yes, Jack is going to team up with Ben. He's going to try and go back to the island, but he's going to make everyone go back. Even if they don't want to, Jack's like, okay. And he starts to like walk out of the funeral parlor and Ben goes, I said, all Jack, that includes the dead body sitting right there. Then the camera slowly moves up and shows us that Jeremy Bentham is our good old buddy, John Locke. John Locke is dead. John Locke is the one in the coffin. John Locke is off the island. What were you thinking, Marcelo, when it was revealed in the last seconds of this episode that it was John Locke in the coffin? I was like, okay, finally, we have figured out who Bentham is. But back in the day when I watched this, my mind exploded when I first saw this with my grandmother because it was just incomprehensible to me. Of all of our main cast, the person that I thought was going to die first was not John Locke. So so I was sitting there back in the day with my grandmother going, oh my God, if they killed John Locke, nobody is safe. I don't understand why back in the day... I didn't come to that conclusion sooner because, for God's sakes, they killed Charlie. And Charlie was one of uh, my favorites. You know, that should have told me that the writers don't hold any of the main cast in, in any secret kind of air. I love the fact that Ben, for the most part, is on the side of the good guys, or so we think. And I love the fact that in the next season, he's going to work with our main losties to get them back on the island. And I'm really, really interested to see how that goes down and everything that that entails. Yeah, that's such an exciting proposition that we never thought Jack would willingly team up with Benjamin Linus, just like we thought Saeed would never team up with Benjamin Linus. So to see all of these people now having to align and the big question that this episode throws at you right at the end, I think, are how does Locke get off the island? How does Locke die? Because he was off the island talking to people just a few weeks ago about going back. So what are the events that bring him to the mainland? What are the events that lead to his death? And how the hell is Jack going to drag Kate back to the island? Because everyone else we have seen is primed for not actually being that hesitant to go back. Sun would want to go back to find out who's still alive and maybe get more closure for Jin. Saeed wants to go back because he's got nothing to live for and he's just working for Ben on the revenge tip. Hurley will do what anybody says because he's just chilling out in ghost town and living on the island wasn't that bad. Jack obviously is now at the lowest point ever and realizes he can't have this life without that sense of meaning and importance that the island gave him as a leader. So Kate is the main holdout where I'm just like, how is this going to go down? And that is what they left us with questioning for, you know, eight months now that Lost only ran from January, February for a couple of weeks, much shorter seasons. But I do remember 
like I said earlier, the second they showed it was John Locke, I flipped out. So unexpected, so well done, and so much intrigue for where the series could go after this that the possibilities were endless. All right, guys. On that note, I think that does it uh, for this edition of Radio 815. Listen, if you guys like anything we do here at all and you want to reach out to us and you want to give us your opinion on your thoughts of the amazing fourth season of Lost, there are a couple ways that you can do that. First, uh, you can just hashtag us on Twitter at uh, Radio815 or you can reach out to us on our personal Twitter. We're at JJ Universe. But if you want to uh, reach out to me and talk to me personally about anything having to do with loss or anything else. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at CreekFanatic88. But Matt, if the good folks at home want to reach you and talk to you about anything having to do with Lost or anything else, where would be the best place for them to reach you? On Twitter, at Matt Crandall. All right, guys. So until next week, as I often say, we'll talk back soon. Bye.